Welcome to Mindful Parenting in a Messy World. I am your host, Michelle Gale. I'm also the author of the book by the same name, Mindful Parenting in a Messy World, Living with Presence and Parenting with Purpose, which you can find on Amazon. If you have happened to have read it and wouldn't mind leaving a review for me on Amazon, that would be most appreciated. You can also go to my website to join my community at beamindfulparent.com. And if you listen to this podcast and love it, leaving a review on iTunes would be amazing. Last but not least, I'm going to be at a retreat on the East Coast of the U.S. this year in Pennsylvania. It's a retreat for women May 18th through the 20th called Rise Gatherings. You can find them on risegatherings.com. It's in the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania. I'll be leading multiple workshops on mindful parenting as well as workshops on women's leadership, the mindfulness advantage in women's leadership. And if you use the code Michelle with two L's, you will receive $100 off your ticket price for the weekend. Thanks for being here. Welcome to Mindful Parenting in a Messy World. I'm your host, Michelle Gale, and I am here today with a new friend and now colleague, Tammy Astorino. She is the co-creator of Rise Gatherings. She's a national speaker, yoga instructor, educator, and plant nutrition enthusiast who facilitates classes and retreat experiences to empower women. She combines her 25 years of experience in the fields of counseling, psychology, and fitness to create opportunities for people to grow and experience more joy. Her organization, Rise Gatherings, provides day and weekend retreat experiences where women gather to raise their voices and spirits. Welcome, Tammy. Hi, Michelle. (laughs) So good to have you. So Tammy and I connected just a few months back. She reached out about having me um, as one of the facilitators at Rise Gatherings this summer. Remind me of the date and place. Sure. It's May 18th to 20th in the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania. Awesome. So I'm super excited. I'm going to be there doing some work for around parenting and also women's leadership. And um, it just sounds like such a great gathering of women. Can Can you talk to us a little bit about rise gathering and you know what inspired you to create these retreat experiences for women of course thank you first of all i'm delighted to be connecting with you and your listeners and i'm so excited that you will be on our team of facilitators at rise gatherings weekend this may people who are looking at the website are already buzzing and talking to me about your workshop so (laughs) We feel lucky that you're coming, and we have women who come, many from the surrounding area of Pennsylvania, Pocono Mountains, but also from all over the country, and we anticipate between 150 to 200 women this year. This is our premier event. We also do smaller one-day gatherings, but this is our premier event where we have 20 women who we see as thought leaders and really the best, most passionate and wise facilitators from across the country come and co-create an experience for women to raise their voices and spirits, which is a wonderful lofty goal, but like how? It's really about nourishing themselves um, with knowledge, with fun, 
with a getaway with like-minded women who also want to invest in themselves. And we do that through a choice of over 20 different workshops. Women build their own journey of what they want to go to. Plus we have some shared experiences since it's in this beautiful camp setting, like a bonfire and a dance party. There's a lot of let your hair down fun because that's part of lighting yourself up. So there is some some serious knowledge and tools that women come home with, um, but there's also really shedding of layers too. Mm, so great. And tell me, how did this come to be? How did this happen? Mm. Well, like, like all things, you know, it's been happening my whole life. <laughs> like yeah. everything, everything leads to the next thing, um, but it's been co-created by me and I have two amazing partners, Alexa Rosenthal and Rachel Rubin. What's kind of cool is we're from three different generations age-wise and really different experiences, but with a similar vision because of experiences we had doing things for ourselves um, and experiences that we provided for others since we were all facilitators. And I worked for many years creating um, a program for teenage girls and training others to do that program around empowerment. Mm. And what I've heard from my women friends and the, and the mothers of these daughters was, I need this. Yeah. And so I've really taken what I learned about creating safe space, um, listening to others and listening to your own voice in a thoughtful way, um, taken that knowledge and applied it to Rise Gatherings. And we started this a, a couple of years ago, not really knowing that this feminine rising that's happened the past year yes. um, has laid even more fertile ground for women to um, awaken to you know, this call that they already had within themselves that they're, or that they're hearing from somewhere else. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the time is ripe right now. It just feels like there is just this this groundswell of women rising in so many different areas, you know, in, in the country and across the nation, you know, in politics and in business and, you know, just taking to the streets and coming together. And, um, you know, I, I often will say, tell people I kind of avoided groups of women <laughs> growing mm-hmm. up in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it just always felt kind of complicated um, and, and what I realized over time and what I really realized in the last you know, couple of years is that I just wasn't able to ask for what I wanted or needed out of relationship in women. Mm, like mm-hmm. I wasn't empowered enough within mm-hmm. myself. And so I really appreciate what you guys are doing for that reason, because as we get to know ourselves as women, mm-hmm. as human beings, right, then mm-hmm. we're just able to speak our truth. We're able to ask for what we need. We're able to like just stand up straighter and taller and mm-hmm. we are. And that was really what I needed. Like now I'm really, I long to be with groups of women and mm-hmm. had this wonderful party at my house recently. I don't know if I told you about this game sparked. I have to have her on the podcast, but there was this wonderful game called sparked and it just sparks conversation for women. Ooh, and there were, I want to play that. You have to play it. You have just, it's so easy. And you know, you just pick, pick cards and there's a little, um, magic wand that's sparkly that you pass around. And, you know, I, last minute I invited women over. My house is going to be empty. All my boys were out of the house. I thought, okay, well, let's see if people will come. And I sent it out to like 15 women. Cause I thought, you know, four or five would come and we had 13. 
Mm-hmm. And so it just told me, wow, this is so needed. What you're doing, bringing yes. women together in this way, there's this longing for it. And we cried and we laughed and connected and mm. just so beautiful. So I'm really excited to come be with you. And, um, and, and you have children. Help remind us, how old are your kids right now? Sure. I have a daughter who is 16 and a son who is 14. So you're, you're in the teenage years. How, for how, sure. is, that, how is that transition <laughs> for you? I guess there's lots of parents listening. I just went through the first teen transition. I have a 14 and a half year old. So okay. I'm kind of with you, but behind. So I think many of us want to know what what is that sure. like? <laughs> yes. Especially because when I see parents with young children, I look at them like, wait, I, I'm still you. I'm you. But I'm not. I know they look at me as an older parent. It just, and it's so trite, but it does go so fast. Yeah. Um, but my, having kids who are teenagers now, especially because that was my area of expertise for so long. So I have to like eat my own words on a daily basis. <laughs> um, it has its ups and downs. There's lots of negotiating. I'm, we're, I'm talking to you from Philadelphia, home of the Super Bowl winning Eagles. And last night, um, there was a lot of negotiating around my 16-year-old daughter going to the Eagles Super Bowl parade with 3 million people wow. packed into the city. But, you know, all her friends were going. Um, <laughs> and so that was a lot of discussing. And she's the right age where the discussion had to ultimately lead to her considering all the factors and weighing in on the decision and then the discussion continued because my 14-year-old who wasn't going to the parade wanted to sit, skip school because no one would be there because they're all at the parade. Mm-hmm. And to me, that, that was just adolescence in a nutshell. It's testing the boundaries as they should be. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, they'd stay home watching Netflix forever. Um, it's the very task of adolescence to push those boundaries and leave us. And then there's that hyper-awareness that teens have of what everyone else is doing or at least perceived to be doing. Yeah. And parents who were once the, the love of their lives, um, our opinions are now really corny and, you know, parental. <laughs> I know. I know. We're much more annoying. Like I remember when I started getting, you know, like clearly I was a little annoying to my 14 year old and it just cracks me up. Yes. It's, it's, it's all, it's all purposeful. It's all so that they can one day leave us. But yes, the way we breathe, the way we chew, the way we walk in the room, you know, if you (laughs) say hi to their friends, you're being annoying and busting. And if you don't say hi to their friends, what, you don't care about my friends? There's like a, you know, it's, we're doomed. Um, and that, yeah. but that is what it, it really is meant to happen at this stage. So, and for, you know, you said what's different now? Well, I feel the beauty of this age is that when my kids were younger, parenting was so physically challenging. You know, I feel like parents of younger children, their very basic needs aren't being met. Things like sleep and time for themselves. And plus little kids' moods are so primitive and we absorb all of that. It's exhausting. Yeah, and older kids, I feel like it's less physically challenging. I actually feel healthier than I did in my earlier childhood parenting years, but it's emotionally challenging because we're anticipating them leaving the nest and the challenges and pressures they face are so much bigger. Yeah. And really the surge in hormones is very real for them. And it's, it's causing not only physical challenges, but all these mood changes yeah. um, that push and pull. And, and so that that's felt beneath the surface of so many interactions with them. But I'm seeing the people they're becoming, that little version of themselves is in them when they were young, but they evolve. And my kids, I'm so proud of the 
adults that they I see they will become and how different they both are also is very affirming from parenting um, perspective that I parented them pretty, you know, pretty similar. They grew up in the same house, but they're so different, which means that they grow into who they are. Yeah. Yeah. And I really love how you're talking about adolescence and naming all of these things that are true and are normal. I think it's really important for for us as parents to come together and know that, you know, have compassion for ourselves and compassion for our kids and be able to normalize so many mm-hmm. that you're doing such a good job of. And, um, you know, I want to, I want to talk more about, you know, just kind of about what the task of parenting is. I know we wanted to kind of, that was what we previously talked about kind of getting there and I want to get there, but you know, you've been on this parenting journey You're in the adolescent arena now What's your overall parenting philosophy? I feel like that might kind of get us to where we're going next. Mm. Overall parenting philosophy, like the elevator pitch version is not easy. Right, right. It's not easy. Yeah. How do you think about it? How do you think about being a parent? Sure, sure. I get it. I mean, in thinking about being on your podcast, I did dig in to reflect on what are the values that guide my parenting. Mm -hmm. And for many years, I was a real parenting book junkie even before I was a parent because I was a school counselor for many years. Mm. And so I've been really influenced by some great thought leaders and authors, some going way back, like Faber and Mazelish have the classic book, How to Talk to Kids So They'll Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk. I love Wendy Mogul, who wrote Blessing of a Skin Knee, and I I really love Alfie Cohn's work on rewards and punishment. Plus, I love Peggy Ornstein's work on girls girls. and William Pollock on boys. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I have to say all those names Um, Plus, with podcasts like yours, I've given myself a whole second education with access to thought leaders. It's like, I feel like when I listen to a podcast, it's like going on a road trip with the author in my front seat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I've... um, I think I've, I've gained so much more wisdom from that. So my parenting, which I would say, when you say, what's the value? It's I'm parenting from the heart. But that space is actually from knowledge because I've nourished myself with this knowledge. So just like when I go to reach for food, I, it feels instinctual, but I've learned a lot about nutrition. So that instinct is fed by that knowledge that's empowered me. Mm. Um, so that, that's like a preface, but I, I have to say, because these ideas are not my own. I mean, are there really any new ideas? And we teach what we most want to learn. So um, I would say that my value, my, my thought always is that our ultimate task as parents, after supporting our kids' basic needs needs for food and shelter, is to guide and support our kids on their personal journey to becoming themselves. That's beautiful. Sure. I do believe that kids are born with their own divine footprint, like their personality, their passions, their desires, their potentials. And as parents, we want so much for our kids and we want them to be not just good people, we, we, we want them to be you know, everything that we were, that we loved about our childhood and ourselves and everything that we were not. <laughs> but our job is not to create mini me, Michelle Gale 2.0, yeah. like me, but only better. Yeah. And it's, it's to empower our kids with this knowledge that they're growing up in a world that is constantly telling them who they should be. Yeah. And that definition is narrow and should be questioned. On many levels, you know, what it means to be a girl. Do you have to be nice? What does it mean to be successful? Do you have to be a doctor or a lawyer? 
And what we can do as parents is create this fertile ground for them to discover themselves for themselves. I love that. I really love that. And you really tap into something that I feel really grateful. Um, my older son, at least in his school, they've done so much media training, um, you know, just helping them to, to think critically about what they see and what they hear. And I really hear that in what you just shared. Um, and mm-hmm. part of that is, you know, it's wonderful if it happens at school and it may or may not. Mm-hmm. And um, how do we help them? And 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 I know that you know part of the punchline here is that we work on ourselves. That is mm-hmm. what I'm you know I'm always preaching. Like you know, leave the kids alone at first. Anyway, you know, again, basic needs, food and shelter. Right. But whenever there's a problem out there, we first look in here. Like let's look inside of us and look at what explore that within ourselves and get some clarity and do a little work. And then, you know, it's, it's just so much more effective when, when we've done the work ourselves to be mm-hmm. that work. Yeah. Children instead I re- of and I have to go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say that philosophy. I really have to credit my husband for, um, because it's part of our, our story as a couple and as a family that he taught me a lot about the kids becoming themselves that my husband, David, was a professional tennis player and a very accomplished musician. And I didn't have either of those things in my life, athletic or musical (laughs) accomplishments. Um, And I was like, oh my gosh, my kids are going to be amazing. I think we were dating. I was like, they're going to be so good at tennis and they're going to be musical. And um, can either of my kids swing a tennis racket? Nope. And do they play our beautiful grand piano that's in our living room? They've never had a lesson. And the reason why is because David told me kind of after we had kids, like my expectation was they were, you know, they would be doing these things that he loved and was driven to succeed in both of those arenas, not because of his parents, not because anyone told him, but because he chose those things and wanted to invest himself. And so now my own kids have their own passions. And I credit my husband for that because he has helped me just back off and get out of their way. That's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. That's really gorgeous to hear. It's so nice to have a partner like that. Like, you know, thank, thank, thank your lucky stars. You know, everybody doesn't have that. I mean, and some of us have it, but had to work really hard for it. And Mm -hmm. it's so nice that you guys had that together and be able to both see each other's blind spots, you know, Mm -hmm. that's such a blessing. Yeah. Yeah. He's helped me a lot on the sidelines since he came from that athletic background and I think all parents, um, you know, even if your kids aren't athletic, maybe you've tried that one season of soccer or whatever it is. And there it's, you're, you're not, uh, it's kind of fascinating the sideline behavior. And even as a parent, you're like, am I supposed to yell? You know, am I supposed to, what am I supposed to do? And, um, we get so excited picturing our kids as like captain of the team one day or playing in college. And we've been fed this narrative that being good parents means you go to every game and you scream the loudest. And I was kind of showing up in that way. Um, And then I actually, between my husband kind of not acting that way, and I I had heard a really good speaker about kids in sports at just the right time, um, shifting from that kind of overly enthusiastic investment to just the joy of watching them play. Um, And I try and stick to the line, I loved watching you play or I love watching you play as opposed to like great game, great kicking. I love the way, you know, this and that, like the full analysis. 
I have a, this is this speaker that I heard, this story has always stuck with me that um, the story there, a kid comes down for breakfast and the dad is making eggs for the kid. I'm going to make it the dad. So I switched the gender stereotype in case you were picturing the mom making the eggs. So the dad <laughs> is making breakfast and he's, he's cracking the egg and the kid goes, yeah, dad, crack it. And he's like, looks over his shoulder and he like, okay, puts the egg in the pan. The, the kid goes, that's it. Scramble, scramble. Dad, scramble, scramble harder. Go, now I have the milk. And the dad looks over. He's like, dude, I know how to make eggs. And the kid goes, yeah, and I know how to play soccer. <gasps> oh, snap. That's snap, right? <laughs> and then you listen to these parents on the sideline. The kids can't even hear them. But how they're like narrating the game with the direction. And I think about the egg analogy and just think, I love to watch you play. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, not just sports, that's just transferable, whether it's you, you know, if you had dreams of watching your kid play a sport, but your kid ends up loving baking or coding or Minecraft, it's just getting really curious about what that passion is mm-hmm. and showing them your support and enthusiasm. And then our kids lead us to these places that we've never been either. And we get out of our comfort zone and maybe learn something new. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I know you've talked about how, you know, kids need to be epic, you know, at things. Mm. And, and I, I feel that way too. In our community where we live, it feels like you can't play a sport past a certain age unless you are like, you know, totally into it, willing to yes. do like travel and yes. intensity. And it's like, there's no more just playing for fun. Like just mm-hmm. everything gets so serious. Like by the time you're 10 or 11, uh, it's hard to find a sport, you know, let's say you're not that good at it, right? I mean, yep. want to play just for fun. Yeah. It's really tough. And I think yes. that's sad. You know, they yes. you have to be epic at everything. You just enjoy things to enjoy it. Yes. And everything doesn't have to be epic. Like that. that's another one I used to, you know, think about um, when your kids get in the car and what do you say to them? Like do you, most parents are like, how was it? Was it fun? You know, was it fun? We're always asking our kids if things are fun and that everything is supposed to be fun, amazing and fun. And like, you know, a whole industry around making everything epic. And if it isn't, then there's something we can do to fix it and make it better. Um, And that really life is often mundane and hard and the magnificence of life happens in those hard and mundane moments sometimes. But yeah, we, we get pretty serious when it comes to kids in our culture, especially as they get older. Like We do. And we do want them. Like I have a little story. I can share something that just happened. Um, please. Brody, who's 11, um, he's really into acting and you know, making videos and performing. He actually, I don't know if I told you to try it out for America's Got Talent. We're waiting to hear. Like they loved him. We're waiting to hear if he's on America's mm. Talent. He's just a super charismatic, outgoing kid. And so and I asked him, like, do you want to try a theater class? Like that, you know, totally up to you, but that might be kind of fun. And so he was mm-hmm. open to it. And he went the first day and he came home. I hate it. I'm not going back. But he's often like that, right? It, often it takes him a long time to kind of yeah. warm up. And so, you know, of course we encourage him. I call the woman the next week. I'm like, he won't come back. The next week he would be refusing to go back. So we negotiated that he'd not go this week, but try it again next week. And I said, I would go with him because we didn't stay and watch. Parents don't stay and watch. So we didn't stay and watch mm-hmm. the thing to do. And, um, and, and I talked to the woman and she's like, oh, you know, I see so much potential in him. And she was super sweet on the phone. And so yesterday 
Mm-hmm. I went with him and he agreed to go back and I sat through it and I brought, my older son happened to be with me because he was going to go to a, an appointment afterwards. And um, we watched and no, like it's totally not right for him. <laughs> like the woman leading it was super mm. passive aggressive and she shamed him once. Mm. Um, you know, she had them go off and, um, you know, break them into groups and read this story and then decide who's going to be the character. This is kind of the beginning of what you're going to do in this class. And it was a pretty hefty, you know, two pages and he has learning differences and he's not going to do that. He's not going to read two pages, analyze it, decide what party's going to be, talk about it with the kids right there on the spot. That's just not going to happen that way. Mm -hmm. And, um, so when she came up to him, she's like, are you done? He's like, yeah, I'm done. I kind of like this part. And she's like, wait, you didn't finish reading it. And He's like, well, you know, I kind of know what part. And she's like, well, then if you're done, then you can teach it to everyone else. (laughs) I'm like, ouch. So I told her, you know, I told her, I'm like, listen, let me, I didn't tell you this. I wasn't expecting there was going to be, you know, major reading going on in this. I thought it was more playing, but anyway, so he was right. You know, my point coming back to it. Yeah. Even my son, I didn't say a word. My older son's like, that is not the kind of person Brody's going to be able to work with. Mm. And, and I said, no, it's not. So it was over. I said, so what did you think? You know, what was your experience Mm -hmm. like? And he's like, kind of the same mom. I just don't think it's for me. And I said, you know what? I stayed and observed and I see what you see and um, Mm. I get it. You don't have to go back. You know, I mean, we'll Mm. just, we'll just chalk it up. But you know, it, there's, there's this desire back to kind of our main point to like fix it. Like, no, it's okay. I'll talk to the lady. I'll convince him she's nice, you know, yeah. he'll be all right. And, and, and he was, he was right. <laughs> anyway, yeah, he knew. I share right. the story because I think it really puts the point on it that sometimes they just need time to warm up, right. Or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yep. you have to be open to what they're sharing and, and what experiences are like for them. Totally. They have a, a, an internal compass yeah. that is pretty strong. Yes. Yes. And it can be tricky when you've got a kid who, you know, often says they hate things and then two weeks later, it's the best thing. Right. Right. So. You, yeah. You had that good parenting instinct, like, no, we don't quit things. And we, <laughs> we st- you know, we stick with things, but um, it's so nice that you went along and that you were able to see what it really was. And that just, it doesn't mean theater is not for him, but that theater no. class wasn't for him. It's not the right class. Like, you know what? Right. This probably isn't the right class. Not the right teacher. We'll try exactly. something else. Exactly. No, we'll exactly. try something else. So anyway, there's that. Yeah. Nice. I love that he was able to tell you also. That's a real compliment to your parenting too. That, he's, know, a, he's, he's a good yeah. one. He's very aware. Very, very aware. Well, even that I didn't trust with America's Got Talent thing. I'm like, oh God, you know, America's Got Talent, like bazillions of people trapped for America's Got Talent. He's like, no mom, I've got this thing. I'm doing comedy. And you know, lo and behold. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I have something for your listeners around this concept of what you know the the everyday and that it can be mundane and but at the same time celebrating life and the the little things um Mm. because of what you were saying in the beginning that our culture gets pretty serious about kids and that we can really be inspired by our kids joy for life um and 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 grateful for it so that I don't remember who I learned this from, so I'm sorry I can't give them credit, but it's, I, um, we used to like to do a lot of dinner games when our kids were little. First of all, I kept them in their chair <laughs> a little longer and more food went in their bodies. <laughs> yeah, and I was so exhausted. I, I was grateful for some structure to the 
the dinner time. So yeah. dinner games really worked for us. And, you know, but we would have like boxes of question cards and those kinds of things. But our, the one thing that has stuck with my family the most and that we still do almost in a joking way now, but for real is we share a high of our day, a low of our day. And we're Jewish. So the other word is the mitzvah, which loosely interpreted from Judy, from Jewish culture is like a good deed, but it could be like your rose and your thorn and your sunshine. Mm. The idea that what in your day brought you joy, what in your day was low and brought you some, you know, negative feelings, sadness or anger. And what in your day did you do in service to others or our world? Or even if it wasn't you, what did you witness that was Mm. a good deed? And so those three things, you know, acknowledge that both are in our day and every day is going to have, you know, the highs and the lows, but it also put to me a a lens on my kids day that was a little less entitled around, it's just about your day, but like, how about the bigger picture? What impact did you have? And we all did it. The parents have to do it too. This is not about the kids reporting in. And I found when I started talking about my day in those terms, it was a very healthy frame And it's, like I said, we return to it even now. So you may not get through everyone at the table, but that kind of, you know, rose thorn and sunshine or high and a low and a good deed um, was a a welcome ritual to our our family meals, or it could be at bedtime too. I love that. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Thank Mm -hmm. you for sharing that. And we're, we're almost out of time. Hard to believe we've been on for just about 30 minutes. So I, oh, I believe to- it. I could talk to you all day. About I know. It's just so, <laughs> so fun. It's so fun. So I wanted to see what you wanted to, before we say our goodbyes, um, mm-hmm. you know, what you, what you haven't said that you might like to share. Sure. With you. I mean, I know a lot of what you do at Rise is about investing in yourself and the importance mm-hmm. of that. So I don't know if you want to speak to that a little bit or if there's somewhere else. Sure. 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 Well, first of all, all of the female listeners on your podcast are invited to rise gatherings may 18th to 20th where they can take your workshops um, as well as many others and i say that not just as the shameless plug that it is but also because it is my it is a value that i think is core to parenting now more than ever and that isn't like you said investing in yourself and to speak on that for a couple minutes i part of that investing in ourselves is not just self-care is maybe it's been defined like getting a mani and petty, which yeah. I'm all for manis and petties, but it has to start first with acknowledging, in my opinion, acknowledging the story that we've told ourselves or, and we tell others um, about who we are in the world. And for so many women, and I'm talking about myself here too, that story is that we have to do it all either in like an overachiever way or a martyr way. Um, But we we all have our story. Maybe there's no time for me. Your story is you're the saint or my partner's a disappointment or I'll I'll do that that when you're the delaying person. But whatever that story is that you tell yourself, others will believe it too. Um, But it doesn't mean you're going to get the reaction that you want. So for example, the I have to do it all stories is, is... a personal one that I try and rewrite, but you know, I, you huff and puff around the house holding laundry baskets and unloading the dishwasher while everyone else is lying around. Yeah. No one is going to stop and say, gee, mom, it looks like you need some help. <laughs> you know, or if they do, I want to know who your, your kids and your spouse are. But we go around doing what we wish others would do for us, but guess what? We need to tell them. 
because they might be doing what they wish you were doing, like lying on the couch, relaxing with them because they love when you're relaxed and giggling or playing a game with them. So I know housework needs to get done, but I'm focusing on this narrative of your house because you get to write it and you're handed many circumstances you can't control, but you get to write the narrative around the story of your house. So and by the way, we cling to these stories because they've served us in some way. You know, they, they've something that we wanted to happen or we were afraid would happen or we think we could prevent from happening. So we cling to these stories because they're comfortable and we stick with them because yeah. without them, we feel vulnerable. Um, but we deserve and we need to make space to really just address the long-held tension that these stories become in our bodies. Yeah. And the way to do that is to claim your time that you're going to create joy in your life and figure out how are you going to nourish yourself physically and emotionally and how are you going to feed your soul? It's really hard for women. We don't like to stop. That's for a whole nother podcast, you know? here's Here's the masculine. First, and we have it in all of us. Some are more feminine, some are more masculine. First, here's the masculine. First, I'll nap. Then I'll clean the kitchen. Here's the feminine. First, I'll clean the kitchen. Then I can relax. Yeah. Yes. And then when you're done cleaning the kitchen, you notice there's something else to do. And exactly. Yes. And you do you're that. so exhausted. Someday never comes. That thing you were going to do when you were finished, you're too tired to do. So what, what I'm saying is it's women's default to see all that needs to be done. Um, but yeah. women can benefit from, from tapping into their masculine energy. And that's the energy that men have of seeking a singular purpose. Yeah. As opposed to the message we get from society and ourselves telling we need to do all this other stuff for others first. Mm-hmm. So it, it, women can and should go for it and do that weekend workshop or go on a retreat or go away with your friend to learn more about something that interests you. Your house will be okay. They'll be more than okay. They're, you know, they're going to learn to thrive without you. And I'm totally biased because I've witnessed so many times women and myself, but the women who come to our retreats, I see them when they arrive. I see them when they leave. And the light from within is just shining so much brighter from either a day or a weekend of shedding layers and investing in themselves. Um, I hear this from women all the time. It's hard for me to leave my kids. And the reasons are valid and true. But as much as your kids need you, they need you to be the the best version of you. So if you save that class or trip or retreat for some day it's not going to come for a long time and they're going to miss out on benefiting from a mom or a partner who's so lit up from learning. Hmm. I love it. That's a beautiful, that's a beautiful place to end. Yeah. Sharing that. Thank you so much for sharing that. We're ending the way we started that we, you know, telling our kids to be themselves and then for us to shed our, shed the tension so that we can, we can also be ourselves. Yeah. Well, thank you, Tammy, for being with us and taking this time. And I'm so excited to meet you in person and come out there this May and and join Rise Gatherings. Same here. If anyone's curious, it's Rise Gatherings, plural, with an S.com. You'll see Michelle's picture right on there. You can read about her workshop and all the other amazing facilitators. Um, And yeah. Oh, and I can tell your listeners if they use the promo code Michelle, Mm-hmm. You spelled with one or two L's, Michelle? Two L's. Two L's. Okay. The promo code Michelle, they get $100 off their ticket. Oh my gosh. So risegatherings.com. And if you use the promo code Michelle, you get $100 off your ticket. Come play with us this, this May in the post. Absolutely. Let your hair down, learn, and we rise together. 
So excited, so excited. Well, I, I'm going to sign off, say goodbye to Tammy, say goodbye to our listeners. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks to all your listeners. Enjoyed sharing the time with you. Beautiful. And we'll, we'll say goodbye. May you meet this moment fully. May you meet this moment with kindness towards yourself and others. Thanks for listening to Mindful Parenting in a Messy World. Michelle's new book, Mindful Parenting in a Messy World, Living with Presence and Parenting with Purpose, is now available at Amazon and at mindfulparentingbook.com. Get your copy today.